and welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know, a podcast about classical education, classical books, uh, the ancient world, and kind of almost modern world, but eh, whatever we want to talk about. Um, <laughs> my name is Graham Donaldson, and I am joined with my two colleagues in classicism, AJ Hannenberg. That's this person. And Thomas Magby. Hello. And today, Thomas, I'm coming with you. I got a problem. Okay. And it's a dilemma. Okay. An ethical dilemma. Okay. And I don't have a matrix through which to approach this dilemma. Do you see that they're remaking? Not they, re- there's a new I matrix coming out. There's a new yeah. matrix coming out? Yeah, yeah new, matrix four. Is it, re- no, resurrection, resu- it It's has- like Neo goes back to work. Well, like looks, he's laying off. He's like Neo's in a psychiatrist's it, office. It and looks like the first movie, doesn't it? It looks like the first movie remade, except Neo is like 60. Woof. I know, and he's like, I don't like my life. <laughs> follow, follow the white rabbit. Exactly. Oh, man, that sounds exhausting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It looks exactly the same. And he like meets Trinity in like a Starbucks, and he's like, I feel like I know you. And she's like, me too. Uh, it looks, Matrix, yeah, Resurrections. Oh, oh weird. Were they I like, know. Oh, Resurrections they, they, didn't they get plugged back into the Matrix, and that was the deal that he made with them? I don't know. I didn't watch the last one, because the, the, the last one looked. The last one? Yeah, the last one, I didn't watch it, because the, the second one was so stupid, and I didn't watch them. I never saw the third one. I, I really like the first one. First, first one was great. Graham being grumpy about movies. And then, I've never heard that before. <laughs> um, you mean every other episode? Every other episode. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so um, I have my ethical dilemmas, and if I only had some kind of framework to work with these ethical dilemmas, I would be a better person. That sounds like I'm it'd be coming great. to you, Maggie. With what do I know? M- with my help. You can't help. just take like an online quiz. Yeah, seriously. That doesn't BuzzFeed like a BuzzFeed quiz. Yeah. yeah. What decisions should, should I, I make? make this I did that. I was Hufflepuff. What's wrong with that? <laughs> You're not a Hufflepuff. You, you input your ethical decision, and the answer was Hufflepuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which wasn't very helpful. It wasn't. Uh, okay, so, hey, speaking of ethical dilemmas, gentlemen, I have uh, I have horrible news. Are you ready for this horrible news? Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, you, uh, you know, you you awake to a strange sight, and I will, ex- I will explain that strange sight. Am uh, I a centipede? Are we doing Kafka? Yeah, we're doing Kafka. You've turned into a uh, centipede. Wasn't it a cockroach? Is it a, I don't know. It, was a giant it just bug. says a vermin. That's all yeah. it says. Is it really all it says? Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure that I copied this word for word from Wikipedia, so in case anyone's looking for the reference, here's what you see as you wake up. There's a runaway trolley barreling down the railway tracks. Ahead on the tracks, there are five people tied up and unable to move. The trolley is headed straight for them. You are standing some distance off in the train yard next to a lever. If you pull this lever, the trolley will switch to a different set of tracks. However, you notice that there is one person on the side track. You have two options. Do nothing and allow the trolley to kill the five people on the main track. Pull the lever, lever diverting the trolley onto the side track where it will kill one person. Which is the more ethical option? Gentlemen, go. Pull lever for sure. Why? It's like the Kobayashi Maru. You're saving four people. Mm-hmm. But five people is even better than that. Uh, but. Well, I mean, the, the equal, you know, like no, you're no. losing one, you're saving five. So that's a net game hey, man, of four. You're walking in the, where are we? The woods? San Francisco? Where are their trolleys? Uh, sure, in San Francisco. Okay, so you're yeah. walking in San Francisco. In the woods? With the woods in San Francisco? <laughs> There's like minecart woods. Mine cars. You, you want to live in the woods Why are five people hanging on the yeah. minecart? That's the real question. Yeah. Okay. So you're walking in San Francisco, and this trolley is coming down the street, and there's people like... Are they tied to the tracks, kind of like they, Rocky Bowwinkle style? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Just like a cartoon. So, yeah. so the tied to the track. You didn't cause this. This isn't your... You didn't do anything. Someone else is to blame. Uh, uh, but once you pull that lever... You've made a conscious decision. Exactly You've right. entered into the game. This guy gets it. And uh, you are now culpable. But before yeah. that, you're not culpable. You're just an agent. No, I'm fine with that. <laughs> I'll pull the... I'll, well, I mean, if he's your Raskolnikov, you've already killed one... Well, three people, so... Like, Raskolnikov, I feel like, would make that decision really quickly. No, I do not pull a lever. 
I mean, I'm sorry. For sure. Five I'm people are going to die, but um, not your fault. I am not going. But it is your who fault. Who am I? Who am I to play? It God is your fault because you are choosing not to pull a lever you could have pulled. This is so terrible. now it's your fault. But no, 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 no. Oh, no, it's no. absolutely mm-hmm. your fault. Doesn't you could have way. taken action and you didn't. Okay, so if you if you see a drowning child and you say, "Oh, that sucks," and you don't do anything, the dad has a right to be angry no, about, no, no, no. You, about this his, is, his dead child. No, this is. Um, uh, uh, I get to choose who drowns. That's different. This is I. This is not I, I save someone or don't save someone. This is I make a decision who lives and make a decision who dies. You would if someone was drowning. If you had a chance to save someone drowning, I would and you try didn't to save, save that, them. I would try to save that person drowning. But this how is, is that different from this? Because in this one, it's like you've got um, you've got you people drowning in a saying. tub, yeah. and you can pull a lever to divert the water to somebody else to drown another kid, and then you're doing that instead. It's very different. I still feel like net gain of four is a pretty compelling argument. <laughs> okay, well. That's just math. Why it's simple arithmetic. Yeah. Interesting. I know you're mocking me. I still feel like I would pull the lever. Let's, okay. Well, and I just yell, sorry, bro. You know. Um, <laughs> what would my automated Tesla do if it's, if it's driving? Uh, would it, it's obviously utilitarian, so it would pick the... So would it like run everyone's like social credit score and be like there's it. four criminals versus like one teacher yeah, or something? So AJ chooses to pull the lever to... I mean, you didn't even ask who's on the track. Like, that could be your mom on the track. Like, why would you... If it's... I mean, if it's five serial killers in the car... It's five Hitlers, and it's one, and your mom is the well, one on the other track. Well, five Hitlers, first of all, not possible. Um, but if it's five serial killers all sorry. in one car, like, that's just a historical the, anomaly. The one point of my trolley example where you're going to call credibility is there? Okay. <laughs> yeah, great, okay. Hey, um, in San Francisco, trolleys go wild all the time. I don't think that they can be... Anyway, whatever, yeah. And the levers to divert them and are incredibly asking, public. Who, who tied <laughs> these people up? That's, these are the real questions we should be asking. Um, why is everyone standing on the tracks? Who, no, they're, they're tied up. This the is, people uh, tied them up is the, the girl that's like, like stupid moose and squirrel. Like that lady. <laughs> What's her name? <laughs> Rocky and Bullwinkle yeah, is yeah. the show. I don't know what her name is. Uh, I'll get Boris to and uh, Natasha. Google. Natasha, okay, that's right. Hey. This is important. I'm glad we got to the bottom of that. Squiddle. Moose <laughs> okay. and Squiddle. So, AJ, you are taking the side that it is the number of lives that you save. I find your lack of asking who's on the track disturbing. Yeah, I don't really care. I think it's worth considering. But anyway, you're saying that it's purely the numbers, so it is better for one person to die instead of five. So that's it kind of boils the decision down. I run my entire life by cold clinical mathematics. Yeah, naturally. That's, yes. And Graham, you're saying you don't want to be complicit in murder. Yes, it comes down to agency. Ah, this is interesting. So... As you might imagine. There's no third way? Like the like Kirk and Kobayashi Maru? There are like not, eight uh, ways. What you, oh, to resolve the situation? Yeah, with everyone surviving? No. Oh. Well, the whole point of the Kobayashi Maru is that he like changed the program, I know. right? So I guess you Can't can... Can't I throw myself in front of the trolley and stop it? No, you'd, you'd kill one extra person, you. That and then it would go and still kill, yeah, probably, kill people? Yeah, sure. If, it, if it can make it through five people killing them, I feel like it could make it through six, right? But wouldn't my like luscious body uh, gum up the works? Uh... <laughs> What? <laughs> Everyone on YouTube is like. I, he's just he. I feel like every episode he looks for an opportunity to talk about his, his luscious, luscious body. body. Yeah, it really, <laughs> it's really becoming be a problem. Exactly. Every episode. Yeah. What did I do last time? Graham is starting his modeling career, and he wants to start it off from here. Oh, so. when I was an Instagram influencer. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You did talk uh, about that. My last means time. of production. That is actually true. Uh, your your luscious you have, body is your means of production. If you have the means, you got to produce, boys. So you two are taking two. <laughs> I don't like this. Two different views toward how to make this decision, but. 
ultimately you're ending at a point of disagreement about which one is the right one. Correct. Well, mine's the right one. But how how would I resolve a conflict between the two of you? You know, let's say let's say it's like a really slow trolley. So we have lots of time to discuss Mm -hmm. what the right decision is. How would you? try and persuade the other person. Let's say it's the two of you wake up and have to make this decision together. How would Uh, you move from there to then saying what we should do with his leader? I need to persuade AJ that his numbers game isn't as good as my agency game. Or you could agree with him. I would propose a slap fight and I would (laughs) slap fight It's a physical force. This is good. I like where this is going. Any other thoughts on that? Pound for pound, I think mathematically I could take him. You probably could. (laughs) You're not even going to disagree with that? Look at his reach. He's like an albatross, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) How do you like that? <laughs> not not the direction I expected, but here we uh, are. AJ and I once had a, uh, a duel on, on was campus. It a, was it a slap fight? No, it was. We were playing a game of um, all the kids. We were playing assassin. a game of assassin, and AJ and I were the last two alive in the whole campus. We killed all the kids. Um, and that's the um, kind of teachers we are. And uh, we decided we were going to have a public duel with swords, okay. and AJ obliterated me because yeah. of his reach. And and the, the funny thing is, in both of our heads. It was glorious. There's a storm coming in the background. It was the last day of school. Yeah. We had seconds to watch and see who got hit. It was this huge thing. And then we watched we, the video We threw later. gauntlets, and it was just us like wailing, it's flailing just, around foam it's swords. It's two and clearly <laughs> awkward English teachers hitting <laughs> yes. each other with foam swords, yeah, it was, and it is not, does not look cool at all. Not, not our finest hour. That's because that's yeah. what it was. So. Um, but how would it, would it, I mean, I don't know how you would convince somebody. Um, like it, um, I mean... So physical force is an answer to physical force is an answer. I think that if you are pulling or not pulling the lever, you are existing in the world saying I am somebody that needs to always solve issues. What do you mean? And and no matter what decision you make. Yeah. It's, it's like, um, if you honestly came across that situation, like, there are so many doubts as to as to what's hap- even just happening that to be able to say, oh, this is, I, I'm living in the trolley problem right. um, versus maybe this is a movie or uh, maybe there's like this is this is a set that's going on or uh, maybe there's like this is a control thing and I just don't realize it because I've just happened to stumble upon it. Um, I don't know. There's just like so many factors that um, that I feel like not acting is the prudent choice in this one. And if, and then if five people get killed, it's a tragedy. But if one person gets killed because of my action, um, it is a tragedy that I'm to blame for. Yeah. To take from your example earlier, you're talking about moving water from one place to another and it killing someone's kid. Mm -hmm. And imagine you then have to like explain to the parents, I chose to kill your kid. I saved five lives by drowning your child. Yeah, exactly. Not cool. Anyway, um, that's, that's how I think about it. To me, this has always been very easy, is that you don't pull the lever. You don't pull the lever. I assume in the same way, AJ, it's easy for you to say, obviously, you pull the lever. Uh, I mean, weirdly enough, kind of, yeah. I mean, there's two possible tragedies, either a tragedy of five deaths or a tragedy of one death. My agency in this world is to prevent the five death. Why? How is that your agency? For a, Why is that your calling? Because I'm next to the lever. You have the ability to do it. I have the ability to do it. And so if I can make for a smaller tragedy in this world, uh, the question would immediately become, okay... Mr. Donaldson, <laughs> would you would you do it if the numbers were changed? What if it was? It's going to kill one person, or I can squish five people. No, no, no. I no, mean, no. It's I'm still it's going to kill a hundred people mm-hmm. or one. Can you divert it? What if it's a thousand people versus one? 
Would you divert it if it killed one over a thousand? I still feel like it's not my place to be. To it be, is your place. You're by the lever. No, no, no. no. Li- literal physical location. Is no, it is not. I w- still don't feel like I am s- that it is right for me to be deciding who lives and who dies. Perhaps it isn't right, but the choice is yours. Whether or not you and I'm want not it make or not. It. And I'm not going to make so it. So you have, you have abdicated your, your potential to save that many lives. This feels like, to me, an old episode of Star Trek where it's the, what is it, the Kobayashi Maru exercise. They That's want to know yeah. if you, as the captain exactly. of the Enterprise, are going to send one man to his death to save the crew. That is your choice. No, no. It's like there's a ship in the Klingon zone and you got to go and you're going to get blown. You're going to blow your ship up to try to save the, co- the, the crew of the Kobe Abayashi Maru. Or you just say like, sorry, guys, you're in the, you're in the Klingon zone. Tough it out. Uh, yeah, I, I, I forget the, the exercise, but there's there. Yeah, there's an exercise where they need to know you need to be willing to sacrifice so one you, for the sake of many. Are you going to risk your ship and your your and the simulation as you always die? Yes. Or are you going to. Uh, uh, sacrif- let the, that other crew die and not risk your ship. And I'm s- and it's it's slightly different because you know you've got your. It's like it's a, it's a circle question. Well, you are the you captain. Take, right? What do you take more control of your your crew or like strangers, um, or you know the general population? It's but um, in that case, there's a question of responsibility. Yes. You are a captain, and it's your responsibility to protect everyone in the Federation that you can. It's your job. Like you are being, you are chosen and paid to do it. Sure, but in the analogy the, here, you're next to the lever, and you and could that's, make a change. That's the thing: is it is still your choice, whether you want it or not. It's yours. But why, you can make the choice. But the responsibility of doing it is the question. Like, if in the end you you're you're in the final judgment, and God's saying, um, under what authority did you feel like you were allowed to make the decision of who lives and who dies? I don't feel like I have a leg to stand on. My my answer would be whether or not. It was my authority. The choice was given to me. And so I made the best choice I could. Like you, it, whether or not you no, so want the choice, so it's I. yours. Yeah. Right? So then I made the best choice I could too. You have the responsibility, right? Whether or not you chose that, whether or not you should have that is beside the question. The responsibility is yours. Yeah. But we both made the choice. You chose to pull the lever and I chose not to. So you, ha- you still haven't answered my numbers question. If the numbers were way different, would it change? I would, I don't feel like I could um, kill a man to save a thousand. I don't, I don't feel like I can. What about, what if it was everybody versus one? I like also everybody. don't feel like I all can. All humans. You live with one guy. <laughs> they all die and it's you and like Craig. Uh-huh. Um, well, when we're talking about like even the survival of the human race um, uh, and it's what, someone's given me authority to, well, I, even the situation is so absurd that I feel like An atomic it doesn't, it's not going to launching toward New York city. You can mm-hmm. choose to redirect it, but it's going to go to, you know, middle of nowhere, Canada where mm-hmm. one person lives. So, you know, you can redirect it either 10 million or 15, whatever the number is, 10 million people die or one person dies. That's, that's and, the, and yeah. Method. And maybe because it hits New York, New York rea- retaliates and then, and then there's more death as a yeah, result. There's more Perhaps death as a result. And there is a, there, are, there is something to be said about the scale so when you have millions of people and radiation and a city with all of its art and culture and history and all of that kind of stuff, then then that changes the calculus. But when it's like a trolley of five or a trolley of one and it doesn't affect anything else in the world other than just these five people and this one person, that feels like it's a different kind of scenario. But hasn't, hasn't that sort of... Un- like? then it is a calculus. 
right? If it it doesn't change the calculus, it just makes it just makes it more severe. It's still a calculus. It's still a calculation, right? Doesn't that sort of undermine the position you take? Huh? You by saying that it's so many people changes the choice I would make means that you are still depending on math math to make your choice. So why does fewer people? At, at what point does it switch? From, yeah, no, I won't pull the lever. To it I does. It does switch. The scale of it changes it. Um, so I, well, we're talking whole cities, but if we're talking like you're walking down the road and there's five people versus one person, um, that is a different. That's that's different. Let's yeah. get the last comment. One more from AJ. One more from Graham. Sorry, no, I know no, you, no, you no, plunged is, us into this. No, this is the point. So go for it. So last comment each person, then we're going to move on. I, I guess I try to adhere to. I was with a kid I tutor. I was studying Kant this weekend. I know that sounds pretentious, but he had an assignment. So I was looking at Kant and his, his way to evaluate morals is would I do it? Could I make this a universal yeah. rule? Yep. Right? Categorical imperative. Would, yep. Is it a categorical imperative? And here I think the categorical imperative is to save as many as you can. And I say this knowing that when you begin to weigh human life in a calculus, that never goes well. Right? So it's, it's the lesson of crime and punishment when you begin to weigh the value of human life against like decision-making, I don't know when you, when you start to do the math of people, that's not, that's never a good math, but I think maybe the difference is Raskolnikov is bringing into their evil or goodness as a, as a piece of the question. Mm -hmm. I think if I can save a lot of people, it's either, it's either one or it's five. I try to save the five. Graham last comment. The context matters. So, sure. I mean, if you have the bomb coming in, then you pres then presumably it's being launched by uh, a belligerent power, and then the numbers, the number calculus seems to be a little bit more appropriate. When it's something is sort of absurd or something is more co like commonplace, it's not a belligerent. Um, it's not a belligerent power who's trying to destroy a whole people. It is sort of the common tragedies of of everyday life: a car accident. Um, um, people about to get hit versus one person getting hit. Um, do you like, you know, close the train and clo close the, the, the gate on the train and crush the worker um, or let the train f fly off the, the, the cliff? Like when it's those sorts of situations, I feel like um, um, putting your, um, you standing up and saying, I'm going to decide sort of who lives and who dies is um, arrogant and... Um, and yeah, uh, morally culpable. Oh, that was your final comment. Yeah, that's actually right. Yeah, right. I was just gonna make a joke, but that's fine. Okay. Is it a funny one? I think Am so. I going to laugh at this joke? You never laugh. You never I laugh. Never laugh. Well, then let's keep going. <laughs> so the the point of that exercise is of us spending ten minutes uh, talking through those things. Graham, have you changed your mind after that ten minute back and forth? Would you do something different? Based on so back to original yes, trolley problem. Yes, it was no, no, I mean, the original trolley problem. No, but uh, but talking about it in terms of um, scale. So like like whole cities of people does seem to change the ch change the the principle. Yeah, AJ, have you changed your mind again? Specific to the trolley problem we started with, would you make a different decision? Yeah, Grandma always changes my mind. I, I don't know if I fully changed it, but it maybe I've never thought about it completely enough and his position is a strong one sure. right where where am i the guy that gets to choose who dies that's a great question sure so it's like what's what, what uh, gandalf said to frodo about about what, golem. what did gandalf say to frodo he said golem was uh, frodo was like man i wish i could just freaking i wish bill freaking killed golem and gandalf's like yeah or, would you make that choice can you choose who gets to live or die frodo maybe golem has a part to play in this saga and he did magby 
he had since, a part since to play. he got his extra comment is the joke are we past the joke now yeah, we're past oh, it. I'm sorry I was going to give you the chance to say <laughs> the joke. Okay. go for it so but the, the point getting to the end of it is even after 10 minutes of discussing I know it's short I know a conversation could go longer than that uh, both of you were still arguing for your positions so I what for just as third party observer it seems like you all have a deeper way of thinking about this problem than you went into it with but ultimately your position stayed the same right is that a fair way of putting it because I'm, I'm American. I don't have to change my opinion. I'm dug in, and I'll never change. I'm not making that point, but I'm, <laughs> I'm fine for you to take that mantle if you want to. That's not how I feel. Um, but the, the point is that in, a, in, we're, you know, in talking about ethics, the, a point to take away from this is that you'll see different, we've talked about this before with Alistair McIntyre's After Virtue, is that most ethical discussions end up being two competing schools of thought fighting each other and there's no coherent way for those ethical um, traditions to talk to each other because they're incorporating different values. So AJ is arguing from a consequentialist view that takes the outcome of the matter into effect and perhaps the primary thing to take into effect. And again, it becomes a very simple problem. Do you do fewer people die if you pull the lever or do more people die? And that makes the decision for you. Graham is taking a non-consequentialist view where it's not so much about this specific in maybe even an agent's interview, which we'll, we'll talk about what all these things mean. You're focused on the person themselves, that the virtue of the person making the decision matters. And so there's a different calculus that goes into effect. You know, the number of people at some point might necessitate murder, but it's still murder that you're asking that person to commit. Correct. Is that fair? Yes. And, and, and the problem then is that those you're looking at different things and you can't talk to each other because AJ One's wrong and one's right. That's what I meant to say. <laughs> Graham's obviously wrong. <laughs> hey. oh, like I said, I'm dug in and I'll never <laughs> yeah. change. But um, so almost by definition, they can't talk to each other because what AJ will point to is, yeah, but the numbers and what Graham will point to is, yeah, but the person making the decision and those two views can't talk to each other. Is that a fair way of yes. putting it? And yes, maybe you gain a deeper appreciation for what the other person thinks, but ultimately you think they're wrong. Um, so this is, uh, again, the point of this is to talk about what some of these different frameworks are so you can recognize them. And I think part of that is to say then what is the other person focused on? So again, it's only a 10-minute discussion and you know, I don't know how dug in you are on a made-up trolley example, but Graham, if you wanted to persuade AJ, you might look for then some consequentialist way of talking about this. What are effects that aren't being taken into effect by AJ by focusing just on the lives on the, you know, the, the, whether you pull the lever or not? AJ, how can you make a moral argument about the goodness of the person pulling that lever? And in that way, you can talk more directly to each other. Does that make sense? Yeah, I do think what we should do is just kill the guy who made the trolley. <laughs> yes, yes, he's obviously he's the obviously guy. the one to blame. Yeah, he's obvi yeah, yeah, obviously the problem with this. I'm yeah. okay with that. So let me run through these of what some different um, ways of thinking about. I guess maybe to zoom out even from that is we're talking about ethical decision making. Do you all have any when someone talks about an ethical issue or an ethical question? What makes it ethical? Has to do with right and wrong, right? Yeah, that, I think that's the easiest way to put it. Anything? Yeah, else no, me? that's fine. That's what I was going to say. I would also add that I think there's a difference between if the dilemma is should I lie or should I tell the truth, just in general. I don't think that's an ethical dilemma because there's a clear right thing to do. I think what's special about the trolley problem is you have two bad outcomes and you're a bad thing is going to happen one way or the other. How do you think about which one is less bad than the other? Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So there's something to a clear right and wrong. I wouldn't call a dilemma in the same way that the trolley problem is. 
people might disagree with that, but that's just my intuition on it. And there are some books on like business ethics that'll call it that too. The decision of like whether to cheat on taxes or not is not really a dilemma. You're, one is clearly right, right, one is clearly wrong. All right, so I referenced AJ's views as consequentialist. Does anyone want, what does consequentialist mean? Focuses on the consequences of your action. Care about the outcomes. Consequentialism can be broken down into a few uh, specific schools of thought, and these are ones that you all have probably heard of before, and so please start throwing out some kind of paragons of each of these schools as we go through them, if you have any that come to mind. Uh, The first one, um, probably the most common, is utilitarianism. Mm -hmm. So what is utilitarianism? What do you all know about that? Just maximizing the happiness. Take the whatever action guarantees the most happiness for the most people. Yeah, you'll get some people who disagree on the most people part, because like in theory, it would be just the most happiness. So if, the, so like for the trolley example, if the one person is like a super happy person and the five are bumps in a log, you'd kill the five bumps on a log cause they wouldn't, you know, or if, or if the five are suicidal, you would take that into account. Right. Or, you know, just don't want to be alive or whatever. I'm sad. Yeah, it is sad. So is the whole, you might have to kill some people. And I should have said this, the trolley problem comes from Philip foot, um, who, um, uh, um, a philosopher, who was a part of kind of reintroducing like virtue ethics, which I guess we'll get to in a second. So utilitarianism, you are in, in the ideal form from Bentham, you're actually trying to measure utils. You're trying to measure units of happiness and then make is that the, what he calls a unit of happiness uh, is uh, one util, a, a util. <laughs> and so you'll get different. So it's so even it's like crypto. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Which one gives you the most Bitcoin at the end? Is that no? I, we should start utils. Oh, sure. I, yeah, we can do whatever we want to. Um, but what AJ is saying, it's not even just the number of people. It's again the happiness outcome from that. So yes, you'd assume five people being happy is more than one person being happy that they're not dead, but not necessarily, right? It, yeah, it matters how they feel about living. Okay. So there's more Fair. to it than that. I want to maximize my happiness. I don't want to kill anybody. Yes, exactly. Oh, that's actually a good point. So, so if I'm not killing anybody, my utils don't have a deficit. And again, that's where you're taking into account the agent. You're taking into <laughs> account the person making the decision more so than yeah. the outcome of that decision. And that's what Shoot, we'll say. I didn't realize I was so selfish. Well, speaking of selfish, let's move to the second one. Okay. The second one is the egoist school. The, um, the egoist school would be what is the best decision for me personally. <laughs> now, this is where I'm shocked you all didn't ask who's on the tracks. But again, that'd be where, you know, Graham, your yeah. wife is the one person and the, then the five are five strangers. You know, it, you'd still not pulling the lever. Bye, strangers. Okay, so you're welcome for that one. But <laughs> I guess maybe your wife is in the car of the five. There it is. Become the yeah. question. And then for and a, I'm the one on the track. Make the decision now, Graham. Exactly. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So again, for you know, to, to make it more problematic for AJ, it'd be you know, <laughs> what just happened? Did you just pull? Oh, you pulled. He's oh, pulling the lever, really killing fast. me. Yeah, for sure. That's fair. Totally fair, Graham. Wow, this is. I support up. your decision. Um, there's a, a, a fitting under the egoist school is the objectivist school, which we were joking about a little before the program. Mm-hmm. Didn't say anything about objectivism? Oh, uh, they want to know how much money they get if they pull that lever. <laughs> Uh, the objectivist school is i I don't really know how the objectivist would think about the trolley problem oh the same as the ego ego, yeah yeah there's i i think i think it's i think so ayn rand is the kind of um creator of the objectivist school Uh, it's how rich are the people on the track are the people on the the tracks like like industry leaders Uh, (laughs) like how valuable are they to society society, as, as a whole the w- the direction I was taking it is that or are they bureaucrats? Yeah, and then in that case, let them go. <laughs> oh, no, no um, the Ayn Rand wrote a book called the the virtue of selfishness, and yeah. you'll see this in objectivism that selfishness is not a bad thing 
to be protected from. It is a good thing to be embraced and understood. There's like a there's like an ethical form of um, selfishness. Mm-hmm. You're doing what's good for you. It's not far off from Adam Smith. What's good for you ends up being good for others. Therefore, you should follow things that are good for you. Don't try and be a martyr is one version of it. Okay. Yes. You're thinking about it? No, it's just the other thing I'm thinking about is is, this is sort of like uh, an ethic that is portrayed by a character that we're currently reading in 12th grade English in Crime and Punishment. There's a character named uh, Peter Petrovich Luzin who actually posits this with the idea being like if I make up a bunch of money – if I make if I if I give a if I see a, a starving poor man and I take my coat and I cut my coat in half now two people have half a coat but if I go and I make like a bunch of money and live my life and sort of take care of myself that's one less person in the world that needs to get taken care of and maybe my like lucre can trickle down well by my by my industry I'll start yes. a business and then he- if everybody does this, we'll have lots of businesses, and then he'll be able to get a coat if he wants one. Yeah, exactly. That's sort of his uh, loosens. But he also uses that to justify, like, kind of being a, a dink. Right. Yeah, he's kind of a hard doofus. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So he has a – he states a reason, but it's not the real reason. He's yeah, doing. it's a thin veil for yeah. him trying to, like, um, marry this girl. Which I think might be a fair criticism of egoism and maybe objectivism, that it's kind of dressed up as a philosophical theory, but really it's – do whatever just, is best for you. Yeah, just which, sort of, yeah. I don't know if you need much of a philosophy. Naked selfishness. Yes, exactly. Um, then finally, in the consequentialist school would be uh, a view toward the common good. So the common good probably would be closer to what AJ is arguing for, that you can just weigh the number of lives. It's better that there be five people who walk out of this experiment than that there's one person, not experiment, but experience. I don't know, with global warming, I mean, like, that's five there less consumers. So, yeah, uh, it would actually be better for there to be less CO2 admitted into the... (laughs) Yeah, I don't like this at all. This is getting dark very fast. I don't know what I expected, but okay. So those are more your consequentialist schools. So, again, the point, and there are three big categories and then some more specifics we're going into, but consequentialist is that first group, and the focus then is on the outcome of whatever policy idea that you're having. Uh, And that would be closer to what AJ was arguing from before. Um, I... Yeah, we'll go into what broadly is called non-consequentialist, but there's actually a third one that's agent-centered, which is also non-consequentialist, so just stick with it. Um, AJ, you said you had read Kant recently. You, I think, made reference to the categorical imperative. Can you say that again? What is the categorical imperative? Well, let me clarify. I read about Kant. I didn't read (laughs) any actual Kant. We were working on a paper. But the categorical categorical imperative, if I understand it correctly is that I should act as far as right and wrong is concerned in such a way that the things that I choose, I would be comfortable if I were to make them a universal rule. Yeah. So should I lie to my wife? Well, would I be comfortable saying that that is what every man should do in every circumstance? No. no. Right. Should I tell the truth to my wife? Would I be comfortable saying that every man should do that in all circumstances? Yeah, yep. I think so. I think all men circumstances? Sh- well, not necessarily all, but well, like, well. should all men tell the truth to their wife in the same circumstance that I'm currently in? Oh, I see. Yeah, probably, right? Um, should should I would I be comfortable if every man would make the choice to pull the lever? That's, probably. Do you think so? Yeah. Would I be comfortable if every man made your decision? Maybe, and that's where it gets complicated. I right. think it's where it, the the universal rule doesn't necessarily make it clear. Yes, and, there and it pe- just boils down to like what you're cool with. Oh yeah, should, <laughs> should other people be like me? And the yeah. answer is yeah, of course they should. Well, right? that, I mean, that's also kind of his point is that. Morals aren't connected to reason mm-hmm. as much. Yes. Like they are kind of, but they are, 
they're like foundational for reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a because Kant's project is to try and separate ethics from religion, and so the categorical imperative is one version of his answer to that. Um, I think the second one is Kantian, also like a rights-based view. Um, but yeah, and there are people who will make fun of the categorical imperative because you can say funny things like, you know, I I'm wearing a dress shirt on a Saturday. Should I? Should everyone wear a dress shirt on a Saturday? Like you get into like silly um, uh, imperatives for everyone to live out. But others, you'd probably just say it's not a moral issue at that point. That's probably fair. But right, I'm trying to think of other because the categorical categorical imperative is for, for moral things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess that's the same. That's how we set it up at the beginning of we're talking about a specific kind of problem here. Yeah, I think it's. But again, in the same way, should should everyone commit tax fraud if that's like a, a situation that you're in? And obviously, that would create huge problems. Therefore, it's a thing you shouldn't do. Mm. Um, I take Graham's point though that categorical imperative feels like it's kind of stealing in a some other framework to make that decision, and then saying everyone should agree with me. But then we by framing that your t-shirt your shirt example is a moral issue we are now also appealing to a category of things in order for our categorical imperative to work yes. which is that there is a understood moral issue versus a, a non Im- amoral issue which is what we wear and so if we already know what that distinction is then the categorical imperative needs something a priori for it to work sure. and then we're already ta- now we're talking about morality and why do we Isn't need the categorical imperative if we all know what morals are well right? it wasn't that Kant's point was that reason like there there has to be something that like we uh what is it space and time are it's really complicated but space and time are things through which we interpret sense experience and sense experience is individual to everybody and so there has to be something we're sort of bringing to the party one of the things that we bring to the party is moral Uh, that's my basic understanding of it Hmm. is that it's not like it should kind of be based on reason but it's not subject to sense experience Kind of, I, I, I'm probably just butchering this. So you're nailing it. No, I'm, I'm all for it. But again, this is this is um, an attempt at an answer for like how one should live. I guess is the way to say it. So it's kind of sidestepping the moral part of it and saying what's like the right way to live. Maybe is one way to put it. Um, so after that, for a non-consequentialist view, would be a rights-based view. Uh, and again, I think this is Kant also. It's summarized as treat people as ends and not means. That's the mm-hmm. way I that normally hear it. The quote is act in such a way that you treat humanity, whether in your own person or in the person of another, always at the same time as an end and never simply as a means to an end. So what would that, uh, what would that look like? What would a rights-based approach be to making a decision? You can never treat a person as, as a means to an end. So if the end is like, I don't know, economic success for everybody. I could never use a person as a means to get there. He so, is he is the end. Yeah. So it would be in contrast to the consequentialist view which would you would say, "Hey, number 1, the one person who's getting squished, your life is now a means to everybody else's improved happiness because right. you have one utils and these have five utils." Right. And so you're treating that person as a means to the ends for everybody else. Right. Yeah. I think that, yeah. I think that yeah. Whereas if you if you let everybody get squished, if you let the five people get squished, um, at least th- then the, 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 the decider hasn't done that, hasn't dehumanized the one by choosing, by choosing to him, right. by choosing to kill him over the other people. Because otherwise it's an inevitable thing is happening as opposed to I've chosen to kill someone. Yeah, where, but I mean AJ's point is where it's like your lack of choice is a choice. Like you were choosing, well, I don't know, there's still the element of doubt, like the lever doesn't work. or Right. Anyway. Isn't that, that's from Batman, isn't it? Where 
the they have the two ships and one can blow up the other one. Yeah. And it turns out the thing doesn't work. Oh really? I don't know. Oh, it's been a long time since so I watched no, it. Don't they just chuck it overboard? The the prisoners do, but don't the wealthy people try and press the button? No, I guess neither no. of them do. No, I, you're think, right. so I think they, they chuck it. Nobody nobody presses it, you're right. right? You're totally right. Let's just And that's why Joker gets mad as he thought somebody would. Would blow someone else and they don't. This is fair. Okay, so non-consequentialist, you're not looking at the outcome. We have a categorical imperative, so act in ways where, wherein you think everyone should act the way that you're acting under the same circumstances. A rights-based view, which would say, uh, don't treat people as means, treat them only as ends. And then um, another option, another category under this would be a fairness view. Have you all heard of John Rawls before? Mm-hmm. So do you know his veil of ignorance that, or his no, theory, I don't. Of, I can't remember. theory of fairness? So the, the Rawls position is that you should act in a way where uh, essentially you should remove yourself from the situation and imagine that you are an objective observer of what's happening and then ask yourself, what is the, what is the most just? What is the fairest thing that should happen? Pretend I'm not a player in this circumstance. What is right? What is fair? What is just? What is the good thing that should happen? So as opposed to... This is, you know, and what, how would he solve the trolley problem? Just like, it's fate. Sorry, guys. Sorry, five. You don't get you get squished and the one person doesn't? What would I want to happen? Well, I'd want the guy to pull the lever and save the five, you, right? You have to... Rem- so it's um, remove your guilt from the situation, maybe as one way. So like you having to live with five people having died because you didn't pull a lever would be the thing you take out. Or even taking out, I feel wrong about... I think it would lead to pulling the lever and having it go to the one person. Because you would take out your opinions on the matter. You would take out, just like, if you're looking at... But isn't thinking that five lives are more worth than one life sure. also an opinion? Sure, yes. Uh, in the same way that categorical imperatives probably stealing something in, it feels like you still have to know what is just. Yeah. The point being, um, what would be a better one? If there's like a, a, a moral problem where you stand to benefit from something happening, that's what you should take out from it. So again, so maybe in this one... You're in a game show. You're, yeah, <laughs> or uh, someone offers you money. At, you know, they're, they're in the trolley problem... Save my baby! Yeah, yeah, and then they'll give you a certain amount of money. Like, that's the thing to ignore from it, because that's gotcha. kind of a confounding factor. I think that's mm-hmm. the easiest way to think about that. Gotcha. But, again, you're, you're trying to figure out what is the fairest thing by removing your individual interest in the situation. And then the last one in this non-consequentialist view would be some version of divine command or... Um, you know, pick your ethical system or religious system. You know, those arguments for law are not based on outcomes. It's based on like God. You know, which, whichever religion, whichever God has commanded, this is the thing to do. So, what is so? What? How do we apply that to the trolley problem? I, you know, I probably the commandment to not murder would mm. come to mind. So, I, yeah, I think the Christian would have to grapple with them being okay pulling that lever killing somebody yeah because it'd be hard to say that like god has commanded us to weigh i don't know the number of lives I, like do you know what i mean like well this goes back this makes me think of uh, kierkegaard again where god commanded abraham to do something that seemed immoral right and, and abraham, abraham then sort of like held these two absurd things at the same time that um God, you know, whatever, you can go back and listen to the episode, but it just reminds me of that, of that, uh, um, that, del- that absurd position that Abraham found himself in. Sure. But in this one, it feels like if you have some sort of view of the immortality of the soul and also a, a view of, you know, don't kill them of like, no, don't wantonly kill people, then you would have the point, you would, maybe the Christian position would be that, you know, those five people, 
when they're dead and they're in heaven, they would be like, hey, so God, what was the deal <laughs> with the trolley? What just yeah. happened? Yeah. And God would be like, yeah, well, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't. Are you saying it's like a let them die and let God sort it out kind of thing? <laughs> Maybe, 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 <laughs> wow. maybe that is this. Kill them all and let God sort no, them. No, not kill them. Let the, like, the let people, them. like, um, but then I, I think back to the atomic bomb one. Like, it's the Christian position to let New York City get nuked. Right. Because uh, instead of saving New York City and, like, killing the, the dude in Wisconsin or the dude in, up in, like, Montana. Hey, woo there. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. It's uh, anyway. and, and, and I Overstep. Yeah. <laughs> And to, so if you're, so like Sartre has a famous essay, existentialism is a humanism and which is like a introduction to existentialism. It's very good. But in that he'll say that this divine command category is unhelpful for answering any of these ethical problems because all you really get are sentences from a Bible that are hard to apply to real life. So you could also just look and say, Actually, this is so specific as a situation. Thou shalt not murder doesn't doesn't, doesn't apply to this, right? Yeah. So just to say, there are situations where maybe that's clear or not, but somewhere maybe divine command isn't a helpful category to think through what the right thing to do is. Hmm. So maybe there is no blame. Maybe maybe then the the uh, individuals pulling or not pulling the lever it does not fall under it, a virtue mandate. Like, am I doing the right thing or wrong thing? It's just I made the choice and did the thing yeah. and, and a tragedy befell. Could you, could you avoid the whole issue by saying, I'm going to roll a dice and if it's odds, I pull it. And if it's evens, I don't. And that way absolve yourself of all guilt. And it still is chance, but there's a chance you might save the five. Sure. And God, and God, and then you can say that God chose, yeah, tells you what to do. Right. You, well, cast you cast lots. You cast lots. Someone uh, bring me a helmet. There's a real biblical. <laughs> yeah. That's the really real Hey guys, we solved, solved it. Yeah. Yeah. This <laughs> is it. Cast lots. Because uh, I'm thinking you could take it the other way and say, Again, just to speak from a Christian perspective, Christianity has a high view on the value of human life. Therefore, maybe saving more human lives is better than saving fewer human lives. Like you can make either one of those arguments, and sure. they both kind of fit in that same framework. Uh, just to wrap up on the agent-centered, which is the so consequentialist, non-consequentialist, and agent-centered are those three big categories. Under agent-centered, we're focused on the person themselves. Again, this is where I think Graham is more focused. First would be a virtue focus. So virtue ethics. What is how would you talk about virtue ethics and what that? I don't know. Oh, but what is it like that, that, that you are trying to adhere to some sort of ideal type? Is that sure? Yeah. So like the point more so is, am I the decision maker making a virtuous decision, mm -hmm. which is not, is the outcome virtuous is, am I virtuous? Am I brave in the face of combat? Am I honest in the face of, um, you know, some kind of complicated situation? So outcome doesn't matter. Correct. So which I, seems to be the position you are taking Graham yes. is, is the thing I am doing a virtuous thing? Mm -hmm. Yes. But even then, it's hard to figure out. Are you more virtuous in letting and abstaining five die mm -hmm. and abstaining, or is it more virtuous to take whatever guilt hit is going to come? Sure. And but those outcomes are separate one. from it. It's is my action one that is good or not? And but the weird well, thing is, I don't know if you can answer that without some sort of consideration well, of the outcome. No, no, no. The thing is, the the actual answer for the virtue person then has to take your own life out of out of the equation. So the the answer to the when the virtue based one is, I will attempt to stop the trolley even if it kills me and the other five people. Sure. And then even if at the end six people have died, like my I've my private virtue is better than like standing around and being like, oh no. Sure. I think that's a fair answer to it. It's outside the options, though. You only have yeah. two options. All right. Well, I cracked it. You 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 solved it. You fixed it. And then finally, that's uh, what a gentleman would do. Just 
try to die. throw himself in front of the train? Yeah, try to like. Well, knock we'll, the train we'll say out. You're, it's past you. So There's Spider-Man no way you're going to outrun it and get to the people at all. You have only the lever. It's it's a mile down the line, and you have a little video screen of what's yeah. happening. I didn't say this before, but the trolley problem and any other, you know, sometimes you talk hear about brains and vats as um, ethical questions. Wait, what? We're well, your not actual what? brains and vats. The, huh? the philosophical question goes like this. <sighs> Whatever. The question goes, let's say, um, AJ and Graham, I give you the option of your every experience of living is going to be one of pure bliss. You're going, you know, uh, imagine... Um, AJ wants to go live in the redwoods north of San Francisco. You get to go do that. So humid. You're going to have all the money you want. You can go anywhere in the world, but, but you're only going to be experiencing those things. They're not actually happening. What I'm going to do is I'm going to connect your brain to a bunch of electrical wires and you'll have the experience of doing all these things, but you're not, you, your body is not actually doing those things. Would you take that trade? That's, that's the brain in a vat. I don't want to go into it. Just I'm, I'm posing it to you. Doggone it. Sorry. I'm, I guess I should have done that instead of the trolley problem. Let me just get the last agent-centered view. Is that, uh, you know, since we talked last week about the Communist Manifesto, a, um, a Marxist view would be an agent-centered view. So you would be looking at, am I making a decision that is most in line and most in support of the proletariat or most in um, taking down or addressing the bourgeoisie? Am I acting in such a way that is furthering class consciousness, that's furthering... Um, Marxist ends. Uh, again, that's a, am I doing those things as opposed to an outcome? Um, you can put other categories in here, like a, you know, a feminist view. Am I acting in such a way that is to the benefit of women? And, um, yeah, so again, those are more agent centered views. Is the trolley an oppressor? Uh, the, so the trolley problem doesn't line up with this one very mm. well, but, um, again, this would be, you know, am I following, you know, am I retweeting things that are supportive of oppressed people? Mm. That would be a more Marxist view, whether <laughs> it gets retweeted or not. Uh, you're still acting in a way that supports the groups that are oppressed. That that would be one way of putting that. Okay. So I've walked through all these different things, this consequentialist, non-consequentialist and agent centered view. After hearing all of those, are we any closer to being able to talk amongst those different groups? Are you, you know, now that you have kind of a, a breakdown of all of them, does that help in understanding these different lines of thought, talking to one another? maybe but i mean it's like I, I i don't think the answer is be literate in all of these different Correct. views yeah. and then like you know it's like worldview analysis like you need to know if you're talking to uh uh to a consequentialist so that you yeah. can like put it in his terms right. um i don't know if that's the answer i don't think that's no, the answer not the answer um I, I, you know, as, as I am unhelpful in my episodes, I think most of the takeaway is that there's kind of an irreparable conflict here. And I don't know, there's not one single answer. I do think it's helpful to understand when you're it's talking not per- personal virtue. Say, what'd you say? Isn't personal virtue the, uh, the actual answer? You were right the whole time. Yeah. No, it's to understand when you're talking to someone who is not speaking in the same language you are. Mm-hmm. And that's where people start talking past one another. Mm-hmm. This is, after virtue, we've ref- I've referenced it already in this episode, and we've talked about it before. Um, I've talked about this anyway. It's been, I'm sure, a hundred episodes since I've done this. The most striking feature. This is a quote from that book. The most striking feature of contemporary moral utterance is that so much of it is used to express disagreements, and the most striking feature of the debates in which these dis- disagreements are expressed is their interminable character. I do not mean by this just that such debates go on and on and on, although they do, but also that they apparently can find no terminus. There seems to be no rational way of securing moral agreement in our culture. 
and then he he has three examples to go through. We're not going to do that here. But one of them is war. I think one of them is abortion, and I'm sure there's a third one. And he'll present three very compelling arguments that all three disagree with each other. Capital punishment, I think, maybe the last one. Probably the third one. And so then the question then being, what do we do Mm -hmm. about that? So that's where I wanted to take this to. If you have thoughts on that of we have people with different philosophical backgrounds that faced with an ethical problem the way you two were, immediately have a reaction as to what's right. And then it seems there's not a way to then deal with that disagreement to find what is in theory, the right answer. So is it real? Is, is it, are you postulating that everybody's kind of like divided into all of these different kinds of schools? Yes, but not through deep study. I think we yeah, just fall yeah. into them. So the answer isn't just like all the consequentialists should like start a commune and all the non-consequentialists oh, should like, is that really the answer is like sort of this, this tribalism of like-mindedness. I don't like that answer. Yeah. Um, but this, uh, but that also shouldn't, couldn't have been true of history. Oh, it's not that you like, you why? know, small, well, small villages of people in, in the dark ages, like after the fall of Rome, when people are like huddled together for survival, weren't, huddling together because they were all collectivists or they were all, uh, yeah, consequentialists or whatever. Right. It's just, I don't even think that's a practical way of doing it, of, of saying, like, go find everybody that you agree with and go form your own society. Yeah, it's so um, one way to take it is Jonathan Haidt, The Righteous Mind, he's trying to look at this question of why do people disagree, and he'll his argument is that these ethical frameworks exist to bring people together. Mm. They exist to bring groups together so that there's I mean these differences of the of bring are the sim- bring them well, together. I'm saying that uh, the fact that there's more than one of each of these people mm. uh, his example is closer to saying that religion the purpose of religion is to bring people closer together which gives an evolutionary advantage to that group of people which then passes on those beliefs to the next group. Is that so that's one way of answering this is that there are benefits outside of the morality itself. Oh, it's just like a mimetic complex that can, that can perpetuate itself. Yes. And so the, the point isn't that utilitarians are right or wrong. It's that a group of people who, who are utilitarians band together and then that perpetuates because the group perpetuates. Does that make sense? I guess I've always found that to be like, kind of like a, like a, like a bait and switch kind of argument or like a, it's a little like, um, uh, you know, oh, we got you all fired up about moral issues, but really, it's just so that like your genes can spread. Yes, <laughs> I mean that's his argument. Yeah, AJ, I, I cut you off a, a little while ago. I know you're. I, uh, you can see those wheels turning. Yeah, I know. But that's true. Uh, oh, I was gonna say something. Come back to me. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll raise my hand again. I'll when say I a little more about <laughs> things. Like Jonathan Haidt, just because. I, I find him interesting in this book. Interesting. So could, could, before you do, just oh. so we can get listeners on the same page, is he the same person who has said that like there's a temperament amongst people who are more liberal and a temperament amongst people who are more conservative? Is that his, he, does he, he write that book or is that so, a different somebody yeah, else? Yeah. He, there's like a personality component, but this book, he's more focused on the values that differentiate people who are politically conservative and politically gotcha. liberal. Okay. There are different, um, categories that will elicit a response in the two different political that will parties. animate people. Yes. Yeah. So I was going to say if, so your, your guy postulates that there is no way for these two camps to talk to each other or to come to any resolution about their moral issues. Yes. I, I don't know that that's true. First of all, Graham and I almost did like we're buddies. I, we're bros and, and you all are bros, but you disagree on. So, sorry. The problem is that we faced with the trolley problem or any ethical problem. 
I think a moral relativist could very easily say there are hundreds of right solutions and it doesn't matter which one you believe, just believe one. Mm. But I don't think you all would say that. Maybe no. you do. We can't know the answer between them. So we're, we're bros before no's. My, <laughs> I hate everything and I hate that you just said that. But my, my point was that at the end of it, you asked if our minds had been changed and both of us said there was the some was progress, yes. yeah. right? And so there's, there's not only that, but I think, I think the, the start is to start speaking to that worldview and leave the problem alone for a while and say, okay, well, at which you're coming from this perspective. I'm coming from a different one. Let's talk about that. And I, I couldn't help but think of an example. And I'm about to, you know, for our, for our non-Christian listeners out there, I'm about to wax Christian for half a second. Um, <laughs> get those four star reviews. You get those, out. get those, uh, as long as it's four star, I'm fine with that. Where, We've, uh, so I, I've been listening to another podcast about the fall of the church. And one of the recent episodes was about this author, Joshua Harris, that wrote the book, I Kissed Dating Goodbye. Is it, when the he podcast went, is The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. Yeah, it's is a great podcast. Point? It's really interesting. It's really well done. Whew. Yeah, yeah. They put a lot more effort into the production than we do. Stop, for sure. don't say that. No. I mean, ours is great. Ours anyway, is great. so he, he wrote this book when he was really young. And what, and it was obviously a moral standpoint. It was a moral yes. standpoint about dating and about courtship and about how parents should be involved and how marriage should work. And what changed his framework was seeing that work out in the world and growing up from 17 or whatever he was when he wrote it to being an older fellow who now has walked away from the faith entirely. Yeah. So my question would be, how did his moral framework change? Because his moral framework seemed to change. I mean, maybe his like school didn't change and it was still a results-based thing or it was a interesting. personal virtue change thing. But it's entirely possible that not only did his standpoint change, but his framework changed, right? He, he changed into a different kind of ethical framework. So yeah. I think one of the ways that we come to different resolutions about these, because people's views on these things change, is watching our framework work out in the world. Yes. For example, Lutzen, the guy from Crime and Punishment mm -hmm. who believes that you should never divide a coat in half because everybody will, everybody will have coats if we all work for our own self-interest. Right. Put 20 years on that opinion and then show him a guy with no coat. Or then when his fiance works for her own self-interest, it really bugs him. <laughs> right. Yeah, or and, or like the guy that employs him works for his self-interest and all of a sudden Lutzen is out of the job yeah, yeah. and can no longer even doesn't even have a coat to put on his own back. Right. Right? And he and maybe his employer espouses the same framework that he had. Well, this is how these frameworks change is when you see them fail to work coherently sure. in the real moral world. Yeah. No, I like that answer. And I do think the you all talking from the beginning is a helpful example again just to say one way of answering in the way that McIntyre will answer the question and after virtue is to say, you need to embed yourself in a community to learn its stories, to understand how they make decisions. But then he'll sounds it, exhausting, but you end, <laughs> end at a point where the only way of making right decisions is to exist in a small community, which maybe is, maybe is a good answer, but the, I think it is a good answer. Uh, I mean, no, cause I, I more think disagreement. I like this between, no, you two. I, th because there is something that, Changes. I mean, this is Plato saying that the virtuous city can only be as like big enough so that people can hear someone talking, right? Yes. Like there is something about when communities scale up that the virtue can't scale up with it. Yeah. Um, that you have to sort of, or that um, the utilitarian ends up having a flavor that it doesn't have when uh, you're in a small town where the utilitarian answer is like, we got to, you know, we got to kill John. And right. John's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> yeah. Whereas, right space, right space. Um, yeah. Whereas, you know, when you're, when you're in the command center yeah. and you're making these numbers calculations, you know, you're in a different situation. Uh, so it's there, I think there is something about the, um, maybe, maybe Jonathan Haidt does, talks about this too, that like, 
the evolutionary um, um, th- that things can get passed on from a group of people much more easier, much more easily when it's a group of three thousand, cu- a culture of three thousand oh. people, as opposed to a culture of three hundred fifty million people. Right. I don't know. Because um, I do think he's thinking of smaller numbers. I think he's even thinking smaller than thirty five hundred. I think yeah. he's thinking of groups of a hundred. Yeah. I, I just yeah. How can um, the only way that something can pass it, pass its culture down throughout the ages that is a billion people right. is is when its culture is a localized thing. So you think of Catholicism, like you know you can dag on or you can um, dog on the, the Catholic Church all you want, but it is congregations <laughs> right. that pass themselves on with groups of a hundred people, sure. but also with a billion. Um, and it, and it's and it's sort of this living thing. So I don't know. It's it's interesting. I, I think there's something to small communities that we as modern people just now are sort of looking at it almost through the guise of since we don't have since that doesn't exist very much in the yes. modern world, we're realizing oh there is stuff going on there that we didn't. Yes, my only point is that the we can talk about the benefits of small localized living. I'm sure, you know, think of, you know, a small village where you work and live in the same area, lots of like health benefits to that too. But then we also talk about the dangers of echo chambers and that would be a literal yeah. echo chamber. I don't know. I still think the, the pastor was right in footloose. You in shouldn't that let that should... outside music coming in and ruining the community. That wasn't quite the message of footloose, <laughs> but, uh, at least you got to hear the music. I also think that was the message of Footloose. Stop. No, stop. I don't like this. Um, so just as a way of landing it, I don't have like a total satisfactory ending. I think acknowledging that there are different strains of making right and wrong decisions about what's right and wrong is important. And it, your banal observation for the day is that different people think different things are right and wrong. Um, but is the healthy community one that has that disagreement? That's what I, my, my takeaway from all this. And again, we saw it in the first 10 minutes of you all talking. I think that being around people who don't agree with you, I think there is a benefit to that. Mm-hmm. So I'm much more pro, uh, you know, larger society than you are, yeah. than maybe Graham, you are from what you're talking about of small villages. I think there's a benefit to seeing and understanding that other people think about things differently and to have a caution about maybe point the second that to have a caution about your own views. So think about when you all were answering the trolley problem. I know I put you on the spot, but most of your reaction was kind of instantaneous and it was just like, I think this is right. And then you can come up with a rational defense of why you think it's right and wrong. But this is Height's point, that a, Jonathan Height's point, that a lot of our, what we think is right and wrong is an emotion. Or we feel it immediately, and then we come up with a rationale afterwards. I think it's fair to be cautious of why do we think something is right? Mm. Am I just mm-hmm. am I digging in my heels because I want to be right? Or do I actually think this is a correct position? Is this why you read Vox? Uh, I've talked about this before, that I try and balance my... Um, media consumption where I want a left-leaning news source and I want a right-leaning news source. So I listen to both National Review and Vox. And I've, I've, I've learned that people think I'm saying Fox when I say left-wing, <laughs> which I would, anyway, V-O-X is what I say. But um, uh, wait, how much time we got? This, oh, may, be, like this may be a good question. Okay, I'll save it for the after episode. Okay. Um, so just to say, I think there are benefits to all of that. Um, and, I, and just as a maybe third and final point, I think there should be a healthy skepticism of views that benefit you. So I think a skepticism of the egoist view would probably be healthy, but in all that to say, I think that some of these are better than others. So I'm presenting them somewhat objectively as these are different options so that they can be observed and noticed. I don't do that to present them all as equal, right? 
Um, and maybe we'll go into that in the in between. I'm curious what Graham's question is. Mm-hmm. But anyway, cool. that's it. As an intro to ethical decisions, different ways of thinking about an ethical problem. Interesting. And an introduction to the trolley problem. Do you know that when they um, are design when they were designing autonomous cars, they actually had to consider the trolley problem? Sure. Because if your car is making a decision about running somebody over and going like, oh no, someone's in the road, I'm going to go off into the sidewalk, right. and there's like 20 people on the sidewalk, or if the thing on the sidewalk is a pole, and if it veers, it means it kills the driver. Ooh. Right. Like uh, they they have to make the decision about whether or not to kill the kid in the road or the person driving the car. Horrifying. And one of those is making a payment to the car company. So I would imagine that the choice it's making is to save the driver. Yeah, but if, what if it scans that kid and realizes it's like kid president on YouTube or whatever? Everyone loves that kid. Well, I'm 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 scared for the future when it's an like a quick MRI and it can tell that the kid has you know some terminal disease. Woof. And then it's measuring the terminal diseases in its driver and it quickly calculates which one has more life to save. And Skynet. That's <laughs> yes. messed up, man. It is messed up. All right, if you don't want Skynet to take over our future, you can become patrons of this the podcast. Feels like a, like a <laughs> that, horrible that, that's bait. Bad. That's bad. Um, if you like to support people who do the right thing, <laughs> support us. us on Patreon. We're the good people. No, if you do want to, if you are sitting here yelling at your radio, no, we weren't on the radio. You're yelling at your iPod. <laughs> Dream do people have iPods? Uh, no. Uh, whatever. At your phone. At your iPhone. At your phone. At your iPhone. At your Android. At phone. your uh, obnoxious. Use hip- your dial-up modem to contact the internet. <laughs> if you've got if you've got a hip-mounted iPad OtterBox that you are listening <laughs> hey, to this on. Hey, don't make fun of that. I'm all um, about that life. Um, you can email us at class the guys at classicalstuff.net. Yep. Uh, you can tweet at us at classical stuff or uh, CLSSCAL stuff on Twitter, and I'll you know like it. Um, you, <laughs> you're so resigned. To um, you can us. find us on I'll Patreon, like where we have tiers of things, um, and um, you can tell us about you can this podcast to your friends, or you can like and subscribe on on channels, or you can leave a comment on iTunes and stuff. I don't know. Just thanks for listening. We appreciate you, and we have a lot of fun doing this. And I guess the uh, overall message is: do whatever you want just, on yeah, the do internet. Do whatever you want on the internet. <laughs> oh, not whatever you want. I mean, there's within bounds of reason. Um, but this is Graham Thomas and AJ signing off. Bye. Ciao. Pull the lever. Gosh. <laughs>